This is Chris Shelton, your host. Thank you very much for inviting me into your home again this week. We are going to talk Scientology. And as you can see, I am joined by guest Ian Rafalco. Hey, Ian, welcome back to the show. You are a uh, former Scientologist, second generation. We did a show talking about your childhood and upbringing in the um, family of Dr. Eric Berg, a famous YouTube chiropractor, health nut guy, yeah? Basically. Basically, <laughs> so so there's the real summary version intro of this, and we yeah, did it. If you want to use his professional name, then yeah, that's his. Uh... Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we got to discuss, uh, you know, some of the um, joys and not so joyous moments in, you know, being a Scientology kid and growing up in a Scientology household. And you were the youngest of three kids, is that right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah, I. They were all two years apart. So, uh, and uh, my brother uh, joined staff very early on. I think he was sent to training at Flag when he was about eleven or twelve. Oh um, wow, eleven or twelve. Wow. Yeah, I think that eleven, twelve, thirteen, in that like little box, like very young teens. And then my sister had a stint on staff, and um, so we've all sort of, um, you know, well, my sister was actually the reason that I went to Atlanta. And then while I was in Atlanta, I, uh, you know, they, uh, they got me on staff there. Right, right. And we're going to spend our time today where we, where we basically talked about Scientology, the culture, what it means to be a second generation Scientologist and grow up in that environment. That's what we spent the bulk of our time talking about last time. And I thought this time we might move on to the next phase in your sort of Scientology existence, and certainly mine as well, which was going from a childhood and upbringing of this to working for the Church of Scientology. Right. And um, and staff, being a staff member, is sort of the first tier, the first level to that, because you are not committing to the billion-year contract and all this, right. the full-blown craziness. You are instead going, okay, I'm going to commit— to this local Church of Scientology, whether it's in Atlanta or Denver or Santa Barbara or wherever it is, and I'm going to agree to sign this piece of paper that is going to give me uh, two and a half, I'm going to give two and a half years, or alternately, there's a five-year contract, right. and, yeah. um, and you can sign this, and the idea is that you give yourself as a, as a religious volunteer to the church, and um, they're going to maybe pay you and maybe not. But you're going to get services, Scientology classes and auditing and counseling and whatnot uh, for free. You're not going to have to pay for that. And that's supposed to be the exchange that's the big deal to being a staff member. And so so that's kind of the the basic framework of it. So let's go ahead and talk about you and your experiences with this. Um, how, How did this come about? Well, I, uh, I was living in Florida, um, originally, uh, when I was, uh, like before I was on staff in Atlanta, I was living in Florida, I should say. And, uh, I was, it was kind of not going there, going well there. I was getting out of a really bad relationship and, um, you know, I was kind of going stagnant. I was, I was having a really hard time, like finding and doing work. You know, I was set up very poorly, uh, or very early on for, uh, 
the life that I was expected to live, I think, in Scientology. So mm -hmm. there was a lot of, I was, you know, a lot of falling down, needing, you know, my parents to come in and swoop in and, and, and help me constantly because I just, um, I needed a lot of help. I guess. Uh, are we guess talking so about help. like financial aid or what? Like oh, what, yeah. what kind of help well, do we are we talking no. about like, here? Yeah. Well, so there was a lot of. I mean, now in hindsight, I understand that there was a lot of early onset depression and, uh, you know, you know, very like some early on, uh, uh trigger warning, suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, so there was a lot of. Um, I think it's sort of just developed into like a lull, like a sort of purposeless drift upon like whatever I landed on. And I had some interests, but they never really seemed too close. So mm. you know, growing up in Scientology and I, and I know this of many people who I know still today who grew up in Scientology like I did. And, and it's like a, it's like this quiet, just kind of defeated, you know, like you know inside you don't have the power to change it so you're just you're comfortable with your with your silence right so i'm mm -hmm. i'm drifting through and i'm like man one of these days i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to get my shit together one of these days it's gonna have to change or you know maybe the next auditing action is gonna is gonna be what changes it so mm. my sister was on staff in atlanta she joined when it opened uh my parents went when, to the opening and i'm when was that the ideal org, um, 20, 2015, I think. Okay. 2016. I okay. think it was 2015. Cause I, I believe I started there in 2016, but, um, I, uh, I needed a place to go and I was very, um, I was, uh, in need of a lot of help. So I was asking my, my parents, I, I just, I, I can't live like this. You know, I'm, I'm, um, it's just not working. And they said, well, you how about this? You can go live with your sister in Atlanta and you can do some training. So pro TRs, student hat, um, you know, the metering course, and you can, you can get some stability. And while you're there, you can find a job and you can work on, you know, writing. Cause I wanted to be a writer. Mm. And, um, cause you had been, you uh, had been, as we covered in the first show, you'd basically been raised in a home that was very Scientological by parents right. who were very. pretty indifferent, kind of not really there, not very present for you. And when they were, they were often angry with you or upset with you because you wouldn't seem yeah. to be acting right or doing Scientology oh, yeah. right. I'll, I'll do I'll do just like a very light uh, context for those yeah. who, who are more uh, unfamiliar. Is My parents are, um, yeah, I, it doesn't appear that whatever they learned in Scientology um, has actually let me just rephrase that my yeah. parents are very cold uh narcissistic people who uh from my observation are almost driven exclusively by scientological like by scientology and everything that you use in scientology because there is so so many like tools so to speak that you can sort of pull from and that you can try to use i mean they say like oh workable tools i mean that's subjective i suppose because it works as well as you believe it worked in the time you know you make up whatever reason in your head it worked and sometimes it does work and you're like oh like these tiny things like uh, manage like like planning your day or battle plans you know can be help can be useful sometimes or um 
you know, setting targets for myself and study, you know, these things were you know useful in the, in the moment, but, um, I was basically forced as a child to conform entirely with no, like from, with no space. Like I was supposed to become a, um, obedient Scientology, essentially staff member in the house or like a sort of, you know, quasi, um, uh, I don't even have a description for it. Really, well, it's but. almost, it's, uh, you know, there's a, let me offer this uh, based on what sure. I remember from our first talk here. And, and I really encourage people to go, you know, watch the entire or listen to the entire podcast that we did. But um, I, I, I see it as, you know, there are some Scientologists, far too many, who are very much into Scientology for what it's going to give them. And right. what it's going to do for them, the transformation to the godlike state or the power, the being at cause, as they right. put it, right? And, and, and yeah, and it and and it seems that there are there are far too many people who not only I mean everybody gets into Scientology for that, but there are some Scientologists, and I think your parents are are an exemplary example of this, who are so into themselves that. If the people around them, even their kids, don't take to it immediately like a fish to water, they just don't really have the time or patience to deal with their problems or yeah. issues with I, it. It's like, oh, you didn't get yeah. it? Well, you're just an idiot, and I just can't really be bothered to pay a lot of attention to you or deal with you or your bullshit. And that's right. kind of how they seem to treat you. Is that Would that be accurate? Yeah, you reminded me like it in Scientology, you are not really a son or a father or a mother mm -hmm. or a sister or a brother. You know, you're a Thetan. You are a spiritual being. So um, which who's lived lives before you just forgotten. So my mother there took all of this very, very, very literally and like uh, acted. My, my father took a little bit more time. Um, you know, she uh, my mother actually played a big role in pushing my father deeper into Scientology by surrounding him with, you know, more successful Scientologists. And, um, I, you know, I found reports that she's written that, you know, uh, detail that. And so through my whole childhood, it was kind of like, remember already, you know, remember that you're, you've been an adult, stop being a child, you know, stop being emotional. Um, when my mother actually found out that I was, uh, uh, having, suicidal thoughts she said well just wait till you get to the ot levels you'll realize that your emotions aren't really what you think they are ah. so don't worry about all that don't worry all about right. those feelings and i'm like that was the least helpful thing you could have possibly said uh so they're basically and no my mother has never given a piece of original advice in her life because after having been trained i realized every single point of criticism or uh advice or you know whatever sort of um manipulation that she sort of attempted on me came almost directly from the words of L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of nuance to that, but uh, I've, I've well, looked into sort of, you know, looking back, looked into my own past and, and sort of finding it really hard these days to see, you know, what I did wrong at all as a child right. um, besides be a kid. You know, right. and that was very taboo. It was, you, you know, you weren't really allowed to um, 
I wasn't allowed to do a lot. You know, I was very isolated and I didn't understand many things about the world, although I was very curious. And um, I uh, had what I know now, and, you know, hindsight, I had uh, a matter of some uh, undiagnosed autism uh, mm. uh, to a degree enough that made it, you know, very difficult for my parents to accept my behavior. I, I, uh, and just what I was interested in talking about and the things that I said and the questions that I asked were just very, um, uh, non-optimal for them. So they made my life, they made it like they made, they reduced me to a level that was comfortable enough for them to control fully. And that required a certain level of pressure, um, a certain level of manipulation and, and uh, duress that they would have to keep me under, including financial duress, like financial, uh, like <clears throat> pushing me to do things that would put me in financial stress so that I then needed to depend upon them because she knew my mother, uh, you know, had this mindset of he'll want, he'll come back. He'll understand, he'll realize that it's, that it's all what it seems to be. And, and uh, he'll realize he's, 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 uh, his overts or his uh, um, harmful acts against one's own moral code of conduct in Scientology would then catch up to me and accumulate in a mental mass that would cause me to then commit crimes because people aren't allowed empathy in Scientology. Empathy is but a concept because it was written by someone without it. You know, someone who sees empathy as alien and who sees sympathy as a distraction because it's not about him giving sympathy to others. He gets no pleasure in that. So why should it be important? I remember in KSW in all the times I've read and word cleared in every single method, uh, KSW. Yeah. But this know, is the, this is said, the central policy of Scientology It's called keeping Scientology working KSW. Yes. And it's, it is a focal point of Scientology and foundational to their beliefs. We would recite it uh, verbatim yeah. uh, in the uh, and and we would Chinese school it in um, uh, which is like repeat the the somebody uh, yells out a uh, a line from a quote and then the the group in repeats it just right back and then they go to the next part of the quote and the next part and it's like a big thing. We did this in the flag internship. Yep. Um, with this reference because it is. Uh, it describes how serious Scientologists take, should be taking Scientology in their day-to-day lives and their actions. And it says, we are not kidding. We are not joking. You you are either in or you are an enemy or you're in the fucking way. And um, you don't get to ask or challenge the tech ever. And my, my favorite is, what did he say? One, uh, about 20 and a hundred thousand suggestions, which is like, what kind of fucking numbers are that? Like a hundred thousand people suggested a way to improve Scientology because it has many flaws. And he accepted 20, like, oh, we should fix the water fountains in the, in the bathroom or like, you know, like the, or, you know, we should, you know, uh, build a smoking hut so that, you know, the boss is happy. Like, you know, it's just this like, sort of bizarre uh, claim that because something was made by one man, it can only be benefited by remaining 
Like he's like, because I was smart enough to come up with this, I think I'm the only person smart enough to have an opinion on it or authority on it is essentially what this reference is about. And that you should, it is a deadly serious thing. What they are doing in Scientology is what it says. So she took that to heart. My mother took that very close to heart and she, um, uh, you know, she made sure I remembered, um, what I believed, Mm. you know, what she wanted me to believe, what I, what, what the truth was, you know, so that led to a lot of stuff either way. So my childhood was very aggressive. Right. Right. And so I, I later, I, I ended up very subdued, very, um, you know, I didn't know really what I had. I didn't really know what was going on. I just, I had no drive. I had no aspirations. I, um, was frequently, uh, I had insomnia quite a bit. Um, you know, I had, um, very bizarre habits. I developed a drinking problem. Um, very, you know, I had a, a very addictive personality, uh, growing up. So, um, it's, uh, you know, coming out of the other side, wanting to be better. I sort of blamed myself for all of these things, absorbed all the responsibility. And then you look towards, well, how can I make it up? Right. A lot of this, a lot of young Scientologists will join staff just for this reason, or perhaps, um, so they don't end up like this or so they don't end up, you know, because in Scientology, the production production is the basis of morale. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, if I, uh, if I, if I might interject for just a moment, sure. I, I wanted to comment on the fact that we talked, we've talked in other podcasts um, on this channel about this concept of adults in little bodies that, that, that Scientologists consider children to be, fully realized and grown adults who are just happen to be growing a new body. And, and that this concept is most talked about in non-Scientology circles or in the, in the world related to the sexual crimes and pedophilia nonsense that goes on with children and how adults in Scientology can justify this or rationalize it because, Oh, they're just adults in little bodies. And so I can, you know, right. And you can audit out any, any, and the, I mean, when you say that, and I, my mind immediately says, well, how would they justify that? And I just thought, well, in Scientology, you can use Dianetics to audit out any physical trauma as well. So exactly. there is no lasting trauma in Scientology. So that's actually, and I've known people, I mean, my, my ex-wife uh, was an auditor. She audited a pedophile and um, uh, it made her very uncomfortable. And I said, well, why don't, who is this guy? She's like, oh, she's, he's a staff member. And uh, we're trying to keep him on the straight and narrow and we're trying to, uh, you know, make sure that he doesn't, you know, he's saying that he's uh, uh, visiting playgrounds too often and he he doesn't know how to control himself. And, you know, all these things obviously pointing to the fact that Scientology is not stopping him from being a pedophile, which this is then a legal issue. She's not going to report him to the police or mm-hmm. to any authorities because he's but he's on staff. He's trying, you know. Exactly. Exactly. And they and they, and they can run these mental gymnastics and and circle, you know, and run themselves around in circles justifying this behavior. But what I wanted to point out here is while we talk about the more salacious, you know, consequences of that in regard sexual assault of children and things like that, 
Absolutely. There's a bigger picture here. There's a much longer term problem connected with this entire philosophy or idea that children are just adults in little bodies. One, they're not. They're children. They're immature. They are growing. They are learning. They are little sponges of information. Their brains are still developing. I mean, there's so much knowledge and and information about children and and stages of development and, and so many things to know that Scientology ignores discredits, invalidates, says, you know, just no, none of that's true at all. Fuck all that. Fuck all that child psychology. Fuck all those those counselors and, and people. We know the truth. You're a right. Thetan. You just got a little body and you just need to take responsibility and grow up and stop acting like a kid. And yeah. when you pound a kid, like as you've described here, right, I wanted to highlight this, that, that, that for years and years and years, your entire childhood is is this idea manifested on you, uh, you know, of course you're going to have massive problems with emotional development, with learning development, with responsibility. You're going to have a responsibility and trauma issues. I was taken out of school constantly. So this is also, you know, gross uh, educational neglect that I made up for in my own way because I, again, I, I did not hate learning things. I was just sort of restricted from learning the things that I wanted to learn. Um, because I remembered it. And if I remembered any bit of psychology, I would, you know, that I was, that was a problem. Uh, it was a problem for me to look for other evidence-based, uh, uh, systems that I could add to my arsenal of, uh, information. Cause I just had, I was just so poorly educated as a child. Um, and I guess, uh, I absorbed information differently. So, Right. You know, that just adds to it, but you're complete. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that again, being more of this backstory to this, what right. we're talking about here, we so, come, we come back to Atlanta. <laughs> so, yeah. We come back to, so what happened? <laughs> well, so I, so I moved to Atlanta and my mom says, don't join staff, mm. which I'm, I'm like, interesting. She's like, well, you're there to, to be on study and, mm. And the implication there now is obviously that uh, uh, staff members, as much as it is uh, advertised that you will get to do your courses and all your training and auditing for free, you rarely will ever. Because there is either never someone who is available to do so, or there is no one trained, period. Or the person who is trained to do it is only auditing public because the public pay the money. And that's more important than you if you're on staff. Correct. my, uh, as long and, as doing- and that all assumes that you have the time to exactly. do it. Exactly. Oh, you are, consuming, that you are uh, uh, you know. upstat and that you're having. Anyway, so I go to Atlanta. Yeah. I meet this guy, Spencer Marrier, who was the HES, the um, HCO executive secretary. Mm-hmm. And that's basically the person who in Scientology who is above uh, the first three divisions of the org. Right. Recruitment, uh, the org establishment, org. like human re- human resources, Income, sales, dissemination. Yeah, that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So because these are all uh, failures of any of these are ethics matters. And so they, the HES is more of a, uh, a, um, uh, an iron whip, whereas, you know, they have a, uh, I guess a a normal leather whip for (laughs) the other ethics officers. Uh, But 
you know, it doesn't help. So he, he would, uh, he took an interest in me and he was telling me things like, you know, I make $3,000 a month. I do all this, you know, I get to do this. I get to do that. You know, he was, he was, he was selling me this like very cushy, you know, oh, yeah, you get to, you get to do this job and you get to do this and you know, maybe you get trained and that's free training, you know, and for, for someone who knows how expensive auditing is, uh, the training, uh, and, and who knows how expensive the training is, it's very, uh, um, that's like value. That's like a steal, right? That's right. And I'm there. It's a real, I'm, it's I, a real uh, um, sales job too. It's a, it's tempting for Scientologists because yeah. auditing is thousands and thousands of dollars racked up over time when you're, you know, when you, cause it's, it's a, it's a, it's, what is it? A few hundred dollars an hour is what it comes out to. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, I think a, it's, it's a bargain uh, for, yeah, for orgs, for class five orgs, which is your everyday org, you'll, it'll be, uh, uh, 2,500 per intensive, which is 12 and a half hours of auditing. Uh, and then you obviously buy as many intensive. You don't buy one intensive. Right. You maybe buy an extra intensive after you've run out of a package and you need to finish that last little bit, but like you're not done, but usually you're going to buy it in chunks so that they'll offer discounts, you know, like all other businesses do. Exactly. Uh, I mean, just to give an estimation for folks out there, it can take anywhere from. Um, oh, I'll I can give you 15... numbers. Like my. Oh, go ahead. Oh yeah. Well, my okay. So uh, I remember. Uh, so SRD is obviously I did that at Flag. So that was about five thousand dollars to be there. Uh, I just did for that, that one with step. A, just for the one step, yes. Wow. Especially at Flag, everything is double price because, right. uh, you know, they just have more people there essentially that's what i equated it to is just that they, they had more people moving faster than they would in an org where there is no people <laughs> where right. everybody's currently busy constantly and they can't help you flag there's usually somebody there i mean now it's almost when i when i left there was never really anybody to help me with the things that i needed but there were just people there you know once i was done with the training aspect it was like I, there was and like i wasn't getting auditing it's like well there's nobody around to help me to do anything because mm. i don't have i'm not paying money so who gives a fuck? Right. Um, how many, how let's, let's say this, how many intensives of auditing do you think it takes on average to go from zero to clear? Zero to clear. Well, they shorten the grades mm -hmm. tremendously. And now mm -hmm. ARC straight wire, uh, it's uh, pro TRs, or student hat pro TRs, upper indoctrination TRs, uh, the metering course, which is now two weeks because you do the course three times in a row. It usually takes you two weeks if you're full-time on... If you're full-time 14 hours a day like I was, uh, you will do it in two weeks. Um, but that's not what most people will do. People will last months. Uh, oh, I've seen I'm people for years on that course. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, if you're if you're an OOT, you're an outer org trainee who's from an org training at Flag, uh, you are... You're, you're, you're pushed. You're not... You don't have the luxury mm -hmm. of patience. You don't have the luxury of, like, waiting... Or like doing it on your own time, you are supposed to be done before Thursday at two right. this week, no matter what course it is. So, and if you have extra time after you finish that course, like I remember one time I finished a course uh, right after I uh, finished my metering course. It was the morning of Thursday morning, and I got in at eight o'clock, and somebody comes downstairs and they say, "Hey, have you done the asthma and the allergy and asthma rundown auditor course?" Right. And I said, no, I haven't. And they said, easy six hour course. You're, I'm enrolling you on it so you can get another uh, comp this week. And obviously it did not take that much because um, 
it is an ancient course that does not use any of the technology that I was trained to use because all my stuff is, you know, anyway, so all this stat pushing, you know, forcing these completions, it doesn't really matter what the training is, but the price is, it was like $2,500 per course. Mm-hmm. And then um, I did about 30. Different, uh, different courses? 35, yeah. And I did uh, an internship as well. Right. Um, I did. I, but let me uh, redirect so, right. you back to the my, auditing. Yeah, auditing. let me get you over to the yeah. auditing side because we're talking about yeah. training. But I just wanted the audience so from, to So get, they shortened it. Yeah, what are they looking It'd at? be somewhere... They advertise it lower than it is, obviously, mm-hmm. but it's advertised, I think, to be somewhere um, like six to eight to finish the grades and then and Ned. Um, really? That few? Yeah. And if you. Yeah. Uh, it usually ends up being more like uh, like 25 or mm-hmm. 40. Mm-hmm. Um, mine was like roughly, I think. 58 or 60 total it, i mean i did a lot of ned intensives these are twenty five hundred dollar uh yeah my i think oh uh i just recently on on superpower my superpower trip just recently i say two years ago uh, when when i was last at flag i was on superpower i didn't even finish superpower and my uh my parents uh who were sending me there uh spent somewhere over two hundred thousand dollars just on um the services we actually paid for two superpowers just on because i i was getting security checked on my on because i didn't want to be a a staff member for the rest of my life i said uh you know i think uh i think my real purpose is being uh is making movies and they were like oh okay that's i'm gonna write that down and uh circle it in red mm-hmm. and uh <laughs> inside joke there yeah yeah and yeah. uh and uh you know i i was forced to stay there for five months uh being passed around different terminals passing me back and forth sec checking me every other day that i had to pay for um it was a ethics ordered action uh for no other reason than i had other purposes in life than scientology yeah you Not had you had other leave. fish to fry yeah. Oh, I, I, uh, I was, um, I was in doubt now. I was this, uh, doubtful, uh, suppressive who obviously had done nothing. And, you know, even though I was, uh, even though it said, uh, Scientology doesn't work on suppressives, an awful lot of people get to the OT levels and, and end up leaving. So I'm not sure who, if, who is so, and even in your own, they, they, they lack so much critical thinking that they don't think things through that much, but I was I was forced to stay there and, and do all these things, but it was all coming out of my parents' pocket. And they they paid because I was there. Mm. And I was in the middle of it. And what are they gonna do? Say no? What am I gonna do? Pay for it? <laughs> you know? Like because right, you were a staff uh, member at this point. Yes. And so um and I was trying to transfer, uh, you know, I was just so done with the situation. Um right. this was much later. Anyway, yeah, we kind of went to the end. Coming back, coming back to the so beginning. coming back. I, I mean, even <laughs> even when I was on staff, I was paying for Scientology services as a public because that's right. what they wanted me to do. Because my parents had money at this time. My parents didn't start making money until I was like twenty or so, um, or nineteen to twenty two. I think I'm twenty six years old now. So mm. uh, uh, it, it was it was back then, and I and they started, you know. My dad's uh, YouTube started, you know, making money and he was buying, you know, uh, new cars and, you know, 
all sorts of stuff. Not like fancy car. He he bought himself a, a new car and then didn't like how it drove. So he bought himself the same new car over again. And then, you know, they've, they've had a lot of, uh, uh, expensive, uh, purchases for themselves. You know? Cool. So it wasn't but, um, that they were struggling to pay your bills. They were, they, they, they were flush. They were making a, some good money and, at this yes, point. Yes, absolutely. And they, and I, and it was like, this $200 a week for, for food is, is, is too much. You need to start, you need to like, you know, you need to, and I was on staff too. So, so I'm going to circle back. Yeah. Um, so I was promised, uh, certain amounts of money to be on staff by this guy, Spencer. Uh, I was promised that, uh, uh, it's a really chill place to work. It's going to be booming soon. Um, it is booming now, uh, as you can see from my all the money I just told you that I make, uh, and that's what he's saying to me. And you know, he's also pointing to, you know, and there's this girl, that girl you were staring at in the in the lobby. You know, if you join staff, you guys might, uh, you know, I could put in a good word for you, and you guys might be able to, uh, you know, get together. And this happens, this uh, specific action actually happens a lot. It was actually <laughs> during, while I was on staff, I dated a girl, uh, not her, I, the, this, the, the girl in the lobby, that, that wasn't uh, really a, a thing that uh, happened. Uh, but later on, I did end up dating another staff member uh, who was used by the org to flirt with other prospective uh, staff members while we were still in a relationship. And, um, they said, what was the word? What the term was like, um, he's, uh, he's, um, he's a, a female, he's like a woman tag or something. He's like a, he's got like a, they tag, it's like a special name that they have for it, where you send, uh, attractive people to, like coax them onto staff and oh look oh it's like oh and they flirt with you and right. many sure they've sent Sea Org has sent many uh uh, uh uh girls to try to recruit me to the Sea Org and it's never like they're never overtly flirting with you but it's like they take a very heavy interest if they know that that's a button of yours and you know they'll text you out unpromptedly and ask you how your day is and you're it gives you really weird vibes it pulls you in sort of yeah um but that was very unethical to me at the time. And I gave the person I was rebuked for, for, for writing a report on it, you know, because she's recruiting and I'm being critical of her dissemination tactics. Right. Right. And Blood this would go both ways, by the way, you would have male recruiters who would sort of do this flirty recruiting thing with female prospects and you'd have female staff who could do, or Sea Org who could do this with male prospects i saw i watched it happen and and, and did it myself yeah. you know i, I did I watched it too. That. Yeah. yeah i mean got it yeah. i mean that's how i sold people stuff as a salesperson and that's how i recruited some people it wasn't just that but it certainly was a tool in the toolkit yeah and uh i you know i never knew so so i get on staff um and eventually my parents are like okay that's fine and and in hindsight, it sort of feels like they were saying, oh, no, don't join staff. Whatever you do, don't join staff. We're not going to help you because they did end up continuing to help me. And uh, right. I, uh, you know, I uh, I got to do um, I started 
I was picked out to be something called the SSO, which is the staff section officer, who mm-hmm. is uh, the person in Division Five uh, in qualification in the qualifications division, who is in charge of all the staff training and processing. Yep. And I basically would have I had carte blanche over. I could say you are going on course right now, or I could say you. Um, haven't been in session, I'm sending you to ethics or you have been avoiding your, you have, you, you haven't been ready for session for like a week. You haven't been sessionable. So, um, I'm, I'm chitting you or I'm KRing, I'm writing a report on you or something. And I could also change the courses that the people had to take. Although I had no control over this at the time because the org was being run through the C org through, um, uh, the, LRH com or the L Ron Hubbard communicator who is almost always these days, uh, a Seorg member, or maybe they don't have enough people. Um, mm. but by the, t- at the time I knew, uh, ours was a Seorg member and she was, res- re- she reported directly to CMO. Commodore's okay. Messenger. Okay. In Atlanta. So she there. Was, uh, yeah. So yeah. she, um, she was in charge of the org, uh, and the ED Debbie bank, who is a, she, um, her husband was like a famous dentist or something. He's a very successful dentist. So she was loaded uh, uh, after he passed away. Um, And so she was doing most of the, her and her son, who also was a dentist, uh, Josh Bank. uh, He's the head of the um, OT committee, I think, down there or something. I don't, he's in there, Uh, but either way, they were very. Uh, in she, other words, I mean, we're throwing around so much Scientology terminology. Yeah, I'll just, I'll and just. It, cut. So she yeah. was in charge. She was very wealthy. A lot of wealthy people on in the executive positions, and a lot of poor people in the lower positions. That's a better right. way to break it down. There we go. Uh, I, I'm a, I'm a detailed person. I have, uh, you know, I add a lot of context first where it doesn't need to be before I say <laughs> the thing that I actually want to say. But I, I don't. You know, I rarely get embarrassed by these things these days because you know, who gives a fuck. Uh, you know, if I were in Scientology, I'd I'd be punching myself off camera. But you know, <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm a weird I, guy. I, and, I, I, I don't, and I don't say that to to in any way disparage you. I just know the audience is, you know, it, we're, you're just going to have to keep up a little bit, folks, because we really are trying to do our best to give a lot of context here. But this is Scientology. It is knee neck deep in terminology and vocabulary, and and we really are doing our best to keep it clarified as we're going. Yes. So, um, so I basically had a job, uh, that I was limited in power at the time, uh, by those who were in charge of me. And there were a lot of wealthy people who were telling me that the reason that I was not able to make money is because I'm not, I don't know enough about Scientology, right? Mm. I don't have the tech, I don't have the data. So I'm, Working with this, um, as the Scientology would say, a stable datum, which is just a uh, something you keep in your mind and you hold on to, mm-hmm. like a thought that keeps you grounded or, or something. Perfect. So um, that I didn't know enough, that I was lacking the information I needed to complete this, uh, to be a better staff member. And, and, I, and uh, let's be the, clear now. And let me, I'm sorry to interrupt, but let, let's be clear. You, you were raised in Scientology? You were yes. familiar with the terminology and basic concepts yes. of Scientology. You'd been around it your entire life. You'd read a yep. bunch of the books at this point. You'd listened to a bunch of the lectures at this point. You were a staff member in an org. Yeah. But your problem is you don't know enough Scientology to be able to do your job well. 
Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, the, I did, I was an SSO for seven months and I, I read a lot of references and I did, um, a lot of drilling, but I, I hadn't done, there were certain things I hadn't done. I, you know, I had certain, I hadn't really trained too much. I did the student hat, uh, in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. which, um, I did pretty fast. Um, and then one day the, um, there was a lot happening and uh, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to go off into everything that happened during that time because there was a lot, there's always a lot. There's so much, it's ridiculous. But uh, at the end, the ED Debbie came into my office and she said, she sat down and she said, how would you like to be a class five CCRD auditor, which stands for the clear certainty rundown. Right. In other words, you could take uh, somebody all the way up to the level of clear and, and, and get that done with somebody. I decide when they're clear, basically. Like yeah. I, I know all that I can take them all the way up and then, um, but to do that, I have to myself be clear. Now uh, at this point, seven months into being on staff, I had, um, they, they made exceptions for me to take time off of staff to go in session because I was paying for it, mm. which is something they would never do if I wasn't paying for it. Yep. Um, like with actual money instead of debits, which mean nothing in Scientology. Essentially just a record being like, I owe you, I owe you, I owe you. Yep. It means absolutely nothing to, to debit anything, especially with like flag stuff. Like they make millions of dollars a week at flag. There's no, nobody's uh, worried about paying people back. All this money goes straight to the top anyway. Um, but so I, uh, I was offered this and I was a Ned, New Era Dianetics drug rundown completion. Like, so that's the, the last thing you do. Um, that's like the last thing before clear. Yeah, you were, and if you, you were, don't, you were and that's steps where you, away from achieving this, this state of clear. You were right on the doorstep of it at this point for yourself. Yes, yes. And I, and I was still having so many problems, but I said, you know, this sounds like an adventure. Let's, uh, I'll send me the flag. I'll do it. And, um, they did. And I, uh, um, I trained for 11 months, 14 hours a day, uh, seven days a week. I got three or four days off total. Wow. Uh, one was Christmas. One I think was Thanksgiving. Uh, another one was my birthday. Um, but, uh, <laughs> oh, not Christmas. The first Christmas. Sorry. I, I started in fall continued then till the following November. So, Wow. Uh, I went through that. Uh, anyway, um, uh, and this while was, in, I was this there, was, this was in Clearwater. You got sent physically this was over in Clearwater. There. Yeah. This yeah. is that flag. I was there. Uh, and you know, we got off, we took the bus, the buses to the motels and back and forth. You were staying in motels with other Sea Org members and we were treated like Sea Org members and, you know, and that's a whole another story in of itself. And there's a lot that happened there. Um, security um uh was very strict at the motels they constantly you know they took people's phones um looked through their messages you know they had dogs uh that they would uh they had a a guard dog that they would have walk around the property with the security guard david and uh he would you know uh i mean it would keep people from leaving i mean there were there are like laser uh trip sensors and cameras everywhere night vision the whole line of the property is all lasered up so not so nobody can um leave and it's on the water so um 
That is very new information to me. I have never heard about those security precautions and and trip grids and things put in place to 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 monitor people there. That's wow. That's even more 1984 than I had remembered. I mean, it's they had to. I mean, people like I asked what the dog was for, and he said, "In in case people run away." And I was like, <laughs> at the time, it was like a joke. I was like, huh, "Yeah, I I can see that, you know." So the dog can find them, and you can help bring them back, and you know, help them get off their overts and get them back into the fold. But I think he he meant it in a little bit more of an aggressive way. That guy, he had uh, he had some issues. I think he was. Uh, too excited to have that attack dog mm-hmm. on, his, uh, mm-hmm. on his arm. We also we were not allowed to pet the dog. That was uh, very disappointing. Anyway, I I trained this place. Um, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, and uh, doing the thing. Did uh, over thirty courses. Um, uh, an internship Damn. which involves rigorous. Uh, um, I did, I think, 165 hours of auditing on my class four internship, mm, mm-hmm. uh, and that was in a month. Wow. So, you, I mean, this is nose to the grindstone stuff. I mean, it's 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 hard to imagine how intensive this is unless you live it. But it's it's just nose to the grindstone from from the moment you open your eyes to the moment your head hits the pillow at night, and you're getting what five six hours of sleep a night. If that, like, I think yeah. I uh, will lights out. Is it like 1130, but you don't get back to the motels until like 11 mm-hmm. or 1145, I think. And you get back at, you get back at like 1030 and you have to change. Then there's exercise at night where you have to run for at least 15 minutes and you're not allowed to do anything else, but run for 13 for 15 minutes. So everybody's running because you're sitting all day. So they physically, they like legally have to put you on your feet. I feel like for that period of time. So that you don't develop like herniated discs and, you know, your legs, muscles don't atrophy. You have to walk. And we, we made the most of it, but we being me and the, the few people, you know, we were, I wouldn't say a click, but like a small group of closer friends, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You tend and, to get uh, tight with the people you're on training with. I did four different full-time training projects or programs when I was a staff member and I was travel from Santa Barbara down to Los Angeles. I didn't go out to flag for training. And you really do bond with the people you're training with, uh, who come from all over the world to, to train. Right. So it's, so there, you, you know, feel- there's, there are some gains here in, in experience yeah. and learning and growing and, and, uh, meeting people. But, but man, the, 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 you know, that is, that is so overtaken or overshadowed by, the rigor and the and the just the intensive drive to produce statistics and work and work and work and and at the same time you were being hit up for money all the time or to hit up your parents for money all the time while you're there trying to get through your training my intern supervisor uh my supervisor uh i actually had a couple supervisors because there were a few that had to speak different languages in for the OOTs, there was an OOT course room. So there, there was like a, a Taiwanese um, supervisor. There was a Russian supervisor, uh, a Spanish supervisor, and a Italian word clearer in the back named Giuseppe. Um, and 
And and just and just to get this out of the way real fast for anybody who's who's a little lost, word clearing is is not uh, yeah. it, it, the the course supervisors are like the teachers, and the word clearers yeah. are like their assistants. They're the guys who sit yeah. down with you and work over the words and the understanding, you know, the concepts you're trying to understand and get you to clear yeah, them up. That's what that's about. Yeah, there are nine there are nine methods of word clearing. Right. Uh, and each nine is a different sort of technique. And word clearers are essentially specifically trained on these nine and using an e-meter and pro TRs and things so that they they are sort of like tools to make things go faster if people don't, you know, in the in the in the in the lore, it's like if you don't if you if you go buy an EMUs, you're yeah. It's bad. Don't do it. Exactly. Uh, or, or you are fucked in every sense of the word. And that's the reason that we're actually all here, by the way, is somebody had a misunderstanding trillions of years ago and a, a being misunderstood something and then violence happened and chaos. And that's right. And then we needed bodies and then bodies became all we were. And then, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, I'm a I'm a sucker for a good sci-fi. I I I'll eat it up. And I and I, it's probably one of the reasons that, you know, they were able to hook me. Yeah. That I was creating the images myself. You know, I was creating my own past lives in the session and it was like, oh wow, that's so cool that I was there. But like, you know, I could do that out of session too. So there was no difference from my like observations it was just i was being asked to make something up on the spot and it was like i i was already able to do that um either way i did a lot of uh when i was at flag i got a repair program because apparently all the auditing i had done at atlanta was like botched from yeah which is another thing which mm -hmm. is like you, it does just because you do a service doesn't mean that you've done the service it means that somebody has delivered a version of their interpretation of a service to you and they gave you a certificate there is no broader verification above like below the flag level like you can't like most of the auditing that or or uh yeah most of the auditing that you do will have to be redone um exactly Exactly. No, no matter what you're doing, like you're going to find a problem. Um, it's impossible to be a good auditor just based on um, the like logical contradiction, like not logical contradiction, like the logic that he, the logic that he's using that L. Ron Hubbard is 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 building for you that that you're supposed to work under. It is so flawed and so um, self-destructive in its own like distrust of itself. It's like a very like. This is the most exact technology. We have no idea what can happen, but we, but we, but this is like a scientific accuracy. Like it just, it throws around like exactness and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I'm trained to, to, I finally go clear uh, while I'm at flag. Let and, me, uh, uh, let me, let me halt you. Let me pause you for a second. Cause I want to, yeah. I want to harp on that point you just made. Cause it's an important one that gets, um, that doesn't get enough attention uh, and is a, a key to, why Scientology in Clearwater is able to make as much money as they make. So I want to explain this for people because it's part sure. of the, it's actually a built in part of the scam that every single Scientologist unquestioningly accepts. And it is this, it is that there is a hierarchy of, of correct application of Scientology. Yep. And that at the lowest levels of Scientology, in other words, in the, in the hierarchy of the organizations, 
you have city-level churches like Denver, Milano, right. etc. These are called Class 5 organizations. Then you have these higher, these next higher-level organizations, which are manned up by Sea Org members, and those are service organizations. These, the St. Hills and the advanced organizations, and those are what are in Los Angeles or at the UK or in Copenhagen. Sydney, Australia, they have these bases right. where these service organizations exist from the Sea Org. Those are class AOS, those are class AOS. six and, and yeah, AOs and, and St. Hills. Advanced org. That's right. And those have a certain level. And then there's flag. And that's there's only one flag. And it's in Clearwater. And it's the only class twelve organization in the world. And it holds one of its one one of the positions of flag, according to L. Ron Hubbard, is it's the ultimate holder of the standard of 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 application of Scientology. It, flag is perfect. Flag never makes mistakes. Flag never screws right. up. Flag is where you go to get the best of the best, which is why they charge literally twice as much for services yep. there. As they would at your local city church. And, and the part of the scam is you'll go and you'll get a bunch of auditing or a bunch of training in, let's say, Denver. And you go up to clear and you do, you know, you spend a couple hundred thousand dollars at Denver. And you do training and you do these classes and you do the, and you do the auditing. Then you ship your folders and all of your information off to Clearwater because you're going to do your next hire services there. Well, right. the first thing they do is they review from bottom to top all of your folders of all the work you've done so far and all the worksheets of all the auditing sessions you've had. They go through all of it. They charge totally, you yeah. to do this, by the way. Yeah. And they list out this, this. They use reams of paper to list out every single mistake and error and screw up that happened in that auditing regardless of what you think about the auditing. Yep. And then they tell you when you arrive at FLAG, this was screwed up, this was screwed up, this was screwed up, you're going to have to do these things again. And we're, by the way, yes, you're going to have to pay for that. And, and people do it. And, and this is a built-in part of the scam that is, uh, that is, that is it's, it, it, you, you can't get around it. There's no oh, questioning fine. this. There's no querying it. There's no saying, I'm not going to do that. There is none of that. You, you, you merely have to accept that this is how Scientology is delivered, and you got to pony up the money when they tell you to. So I, we've, we've never really harped on that as much as I right. want to. So you, I wanted to focus on that, that for a second. Yeah, you you say that, and, I, and just so many things come to mind, like the fact that uh, my mother, who is even still so fiercely devoted to Scientology was false, clear, attested twice. Yeah. Which means this woman was told she was clear, got up on stage at flag, gave a, got a certificate, gave a big speech. And then later they said, Hey, actually you did not go clear. And she said, well, shit, let me spend a bunch of money to fix that. And she did it again. And then GAT2 came out right after that, which was a whole redesign of everything, basically making it like look like this standardized package of this is the final edition of yep. all of our collaborated data. We've gotten all the, 
you know, there were some bad secretaries, which is an excuse David Miscavige is still using even today, as if there are so many bad secretaries, maybe we're just real bad at picking secretaries. <laughs> you know, once, you know, fool me once, fool me twice. You know, it's like they don't get that far because, you know, they're, they're OT. But I digress. That, uh, that happens so often. So I got yeah. these, I got these repairs that, um, you know, and the auditing was, the process was better in, in comparison. Um, when you talk about the beingness of an auditor, which is essentially the presence that an auditor is trained to exude, which is a very stoic, powerful, direct, um, um, presence. Um, you have a job, you know, you're not interested in anything except for the answers to your questions. And if you can, if you can, I did my best to be a, a nice guy and I just happened to have, um, I did my best and I was, I was actually a favorite of the internship soup for doing sec checks on Sea Org members and uh, other OOTs because I was fast and I can get, I got their secrets out, you know, mm -hmm. I just knew when they were bullshitting me. So I just could cut through it. And I was, I was nice about it for the most part. And I was persistent and patient and, um, it was just something to focus on, you know, uh, the training really, it's very militant. If you're doing it in that environment that I was doing it in, it's very, you know, you feel structured because there's an, there's a big new shiny metal rod up your ass. <laughs> It's yeah, you're gonna feel you're gonna feel it. It's gonna be a little yeah. gonna be a little cold going in, but you know, once it's up there, boy, do you sit straight, up straight yep. you know? And, <laughs> you know, so the after all that after eleven months and all this stuff, um I I I finally got offloaded, which I was told to uh to leave for, for an uh an ethics cycle that uh resulted in me getting meeting a, a woman and getting married. Uh, and then divorced, but right. that's also another story. I uh, explained some of that on, 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 in previous uh, interviews yeah. and, and on my channel, but um, <clears throat> I, uh, I left flag. Oh, we should, um, we should be clear about something just to, just to comment on this real fast. There's yeah. no dating. There's no sex. There's no, no relationship stuff. You don't have time off when you're at flag. You don't get Saturday and Sunday nights off or any bullshit like that. You yeah. are nose to the grindstone. And if they catch you flirting around or screwing around with, with trainees from other organizations, you both are going to be in an awful lot of hot yeah. water. doesn't matter if you do anything. Honestly, right. most times people don't do anything. But if they talk, if they're talking too much, and if they see you talk too much, in their heads, it's these two are going to abandon one of the other orgs and they're going to lose that person. Yep. Because... Oh, these people have, we can't trust these people ever because something happened probably a couple times in the past, which I'm, I'm, I've seen it happen. I'm, I've, you know, I've seen it you're, happen. You're to talking and, to somebody it happened to. Exactly. I, I Some, something similar trainee. happened to me. Yeah. Something similar happened to me. I was a little more resilient on my position and I was like, I didn't really let them like, I mean, a lot happened and I was very uh, naive at the time. Right. I was just, you know, they didn't piss me off enough yet. So I, I did everything they wanted me to do, but I, uh, I did make a friend who um, I was accused of being 
romantic with. And then it became this whole like forbidden fruit thing. And her friends were talking to me about what she's thinking. And, you know, it was just like a whole big weird mess. And so after she left, we ended up dating and, um, and then she came back and that wasn't allowed. And it was like a whole, it was a whole thing. But right. so I was, uh, I got some, um, like three or four ethics programs for that. But um, it was about 12 pages of references each, uh, including clay demos of every single reference. Uh, but that was normal. These hands have... <laughs> yeah, we messed with an awful Molded lot some of clay. clay. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think like of learning of something like Scientology, that that's like the first thing that like, like on the... On the outside, I can see it looks weird that like there's just these people who are like they're playing with clay all the time, but it is not play. I promise you, it is definitely we do not want to be doing this. This is work. No. This is uh, part of the learning process. Right. Um, or it is sometimes ordered for you to do so that you make it real for yourself in your head. That's the idea is that you're, yeah. you're, you're molding with clay to make a physical representation of an idea or a thought or a or a uh, 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 or a system or or of an entire auditing session, which includes setting up the session, finding the PC, doing this, doing this, then getting them in session, then, you know, putting the heater on their feet and yeah. putting the lotion in their hands. And is the room all right? Thank you. You know, I could do that whole thing. I could do all the updated. I, I remember it all. Oh yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah. I can tell you it's, um, you know, there are many, uh, steps. Um, and what was I saying? That was the original point. Um, <laughs> well, we were, we're talking, talking about, about uh, you were talking about doing these ethics programs because of the, right, yeah, the whole two so, D. Right, thing, the clay yeah. demos. Yeah, yeah. So the clay, yeah, clays were rough, but you know it's part of the gig. So you do. I did all these things, and then I eventually was told to go home. I was a. Uh, I had done my Ned course, and I was on my class five internship, which is essentially I've I'm a fully uh, interned and um, validated uh, Scientology auditor, which means I can deliver the hundreds and hundreds of auditing processes and including all of the objective specialist course, which is that big book. Yeah. I've read that entire book cover to cover. Oh, man. It has, uh, I think, over six, five or six hundred processes in it. Mm -hmm. Um and it's definitely, it's, you know, so you have to, and you get the special version, which, you know, tells you why it works when it's just, it can't, it, it literally doesn't matter. You just try them until one does something good. And that's how you know it's working. Um, and then most people do the main battery, which is just general. Anyway, all this noise aside, um, I was trained to do basically everything and mm -hmm. I was good at it and I prided myself in being good at it because for once in my life, uh, people respected me and my people in my life respected me. You know, my mm -hmm. family was suddenly like, wow, look, how, look, all these things you're doing. Look, you, you, you know how to clear someone that's crazy. Now I never did the CCRD auditor course because, uh, I, I left too early, but, um, I wasn't really allowed to, um, uh, because uh, I was needed then in Atlanta to audit people. Um, so I switched posts upon returning. I was told that there was a line of pre-clears waiting to be audited and that I couldn't do any personal services at Flag before I came back. None at all, mm -hmm. even though I had them paid for. Um, 
And I said, no, no, no. My, uh, the, the FR, the flag rep, Sarah Teresi, who was in Atlanta, she said, no, he can't do any personal services. We need him back to audit people now. We need him in the chair is essentially what you hear. Um, and so I went back and um, there were two repair programs, which for an auditor is a very small amount of work. Um, and I finished those in the first three days and I had no pre-clears for another two weeks. That was the overwhelming wall of pre-clears they had for you were yeah. two repair programs. It was because they could afford to fly me back that night, like that day, just to get it done. Wow. And that I was, I knew enough and they didn't really need a Ned validated auditor. You know, they didn't really need a, somebody to side check all my uh, class five work basically. Um, but it didn't matter because uh, once I got back, I was put to work on all the public and um, I did uh, an awful lot of auditing um, on very few people. Mm-hmm. But I, I did my I did my part. You know, it, it was like at the time you're thinking like. I don't want to be out of session because. When you get back from flag, what you realize as a and this is I'm sure any flag trained. Person listening to this would agree when you get back, you are. Very. Uh, overwhelmed with a feeling of disappointment in your the shift in production change. Some people I think might not mind it so much. You know, my, people, uh, there were a lot of people there with physical problems who didn't really like the, the very physical active, uh, part of training, you know, the stairs and, uh, you know, walking the pre-clears to eat, uh, and, and, um, moving, even just getting up in the morning. Sometimes people needed like medical, exemptions or something special schedules and because they just couldn't take the normal process mm -hmm. um they still got yelled at just as much but uh you know when you get back you realize that you know all this stuff you've been preparing for was just kind of like wishful thinking and that now that you're back in your org it's empty and you're not and the the less time you spend doing the thing that you train to do you're that's that's never usually what you end up doing like you get back to your org and now you're on letter writing because the org can't can't find anyone to pay for auditing because right. they're doing fundraising events every weekend and no one can afford anything and nobody exactly. even wants to afford to donate. And exactly. they keep us there until 11 p.m. and keep the public there until 1130 at night in these events squeezing the lemon until yeah the ed's rich son says i'll do ten thousand or i'll do five thousand and they're like yeah and they play eye of the tiger for the 10 billionth time it's, isn't it you, amazing it's, because this is a change that miscavige has overseen i mean back in the 1980s it was unthinkable that you were going to draw the majority of money out of scientologists and just send it to some nameless, faceless bank account somewhere offshore and call that an IAS donation. It was all about paying for auditing and paying for books and paying for services. And that is a, a gigantic sort of sea change that happened in Scientology under Miscavige is that the money went from going to the local organizations, which would send a percentage up to Miscavige, 
to know you're not getting the money. I am. And, and just going in there and taking all the money well, out of the field. They can't be trusted with the money. Of course, David yeah. Miscavige is the only person who can be there trusted with any amount of money. Any All the accounts need to be in his name because he knows what's best. There you go. Obviously, he's doing such a bang up fucking job. Obviously. Uh, avoiding the law and whatnot. Um, <laughs> yes. I, so I, it's, been, I, it's just I, a big that, change for Scientology. And it's one of the major reasons why less auditing happens, less services happen, and why less people are now part of Scientology is because they're just not even doing Scientology. It's, it's, it's quite wild and completely backwards from what L. Ron Hubbard said to do and how he grew it. So it's just, uh, yeah. that's what, it's no real, it's not a big brainer here as to why this thing is tanking. Miscavige has been tanking it for decades. Yeah. And uh, consequently, um, what ends up happening when you aren't doing the job that you were asked to do or that you were trained to do, that you've been, you know, you've, you've had this expectation that it's going to be this intense and you're going to have all these people. And um, for me, the auditing was actually fairly easy coming back because mm -hmm. you are in such high pressure situations and there's a camera in every single auditing room at flag so i could physically watch every session that i did and also look at the e-meter at the same time mm -hmm. i had like a main hub where i could just pick oh this room that this time this session started and then i can check uh all my stuff so but like when i go back to the org i have no way of i have none of these things which is fine but I also have no PCs. Uh, the org has no students. The org has no money. And I, now a trained person, am expected to do all these other people's jobs um, and call in, with, which is a very depressing activity, yes. by the way. Yes, it is. I, and despite uh. my, my, uh, my social anxiety, which I've struggled with for a very long time, and, you know, it, 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 it gets... Um, you know, I have some pretty, uh, I can break down sometimes, you know, and, and it, and I can, uh, uh, and that's, that's just a consequence, I guess, of, 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 uh, my upbringing, but like, um, consequence and effect of my upbringing, but, uh, you know, calling these people who would get mad at me or bothering them or, you know, they just slam the phone on me and, and keep my morale up is kind of impossible. So yeah. I'm not going to talk to any of these people, you know, like I'm literally on the brink of, you know, going anywhere else. Like if I don't like feel better, but y'all are promising me these things that I'm not getting. And so calling these people is, is sort of a labored task for me because I'm talking to people who are like, What's the event for? Is it a fundraising? I just went to the IAS event. I really don't have the time to do like, and these people walk in and just look so depressed and they, they skip right past the sign and table, go right to the food. Cause that's the only reason people show up these days. Um, but you know, I, I, I watched the expectation turn into reality and you, you know, it didn't really matter how much I was auditing. I, I was actually at a certain point punished because I was too good of an auditor because I was, oops, I was, uh, too fast. I finished. I, I knew where to go so quickly. I knew like how to handle it. And I was so sharp at the time that 
I would knock out these programs and they would still have hours left or they would still have, you know, a couple minutes left. And I would, and they would, I would be instructed to work on their folder doing this. Um, the thing you mentioned before, the, the looking through in the correction, it's called uh, folder error summary yep. or FESing. Yep. And it's pink sheets, these, all these pink, uh, pink, um, sheets and you, and, and I would, I would be set to do that. Um, so that we could take hours, idle hours from folders and turn them into a completed uh, intensive of auditing, which would then be added to the uh, statistics of the org that would make us look better, but we're not actually auditing people. We're just doing a lot of folder work. Right. Um, and our org actually got into a lot of trouble for that. I, I remember um, coming back from flag, there was a, a, a sea org mission led by a guy named Chris Burpee. Oh, I knew him. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, and he had a little, he had a little team. Uh, there's another one named Gensi and there was a, this bigger guy too. this. Um, he was like a hard sell uh, guy or something like that, but he, they were all Sea Org members from CMO and um, they essentially did a lot of um stuff that wasn't allowed essentially they did a lot of what are called in scientology financial irregularities um and they many they're called esto missions establishment missions so mm. when an org is failing the idea is well let's put together a group of people in the sea org train them on their mission on what they're supposed to do the like what's lacking in this org right the idea is helpful but the execution is very rarely good because you can send them there for wholly altruistic reasons. But once they get there and these things that they're trying aren't working, what becomes a problem is the amount of money that the orgs are making. So mm -hmm. in Atlanta, we never made enough to pay the, to pay the, um, the power bill. Like mm -hmm. in like the time that I came back from flag and that I, uh, like from my training and to the time that I left, uh, Atlanta, we never, we constantly uh, struggling to afford anything because there were no um, campaigns. There were no dissemination tools. There wasn't even a, uh, someone called a dissemsec, a dissemination secretary, head of division two, who was in charge of promo. That room, the promo room was just empty. I used it to, I used that big uh, paper cutter sometimes. That was pretty cool. But uh, other than that, you know, there was a, there was a, uh, the Mac in there that you could use to edit the photos. I was the, uh, set to the event photo photographer because I had photography experience. And uh, so that's just what I got put on. I honestly was grateful to just have that because I didn't have to hound people or, or sit them down and, and, and extract money from them in, in some painful manipulative way. Cause that's just not who I am. I never been one to like, if I, I should be able to succeed with the truth, you know, mm -hmm. and if mm -hmm. I have to lie, then it's, it's detracting from my success personally. Mm. So, I mean, that was just how I acted. And it was awful for them because they just wanted to use me as a, as a trained tool because I had done all my upper indoc TRs, which is the upper indoctrination TR course has to do with physically like being A to B that thing that you were talking about the, uh, the book, um, before it's about being tone 40 or basically putting as little time between your decision to request something or have something happen and that thing actually happening. So mm -hmm. you just, 
shortening of those two things. So whether it's physically moving a human body, you're trained to do that. You're trained to cut through um, people struggling to get away from you and flag. I've thrown a couple people against walls because they tried to uh, escape from my escape from me while I'm doing the drill. And I'm a big guy. I'm uh, six foot four, 210 pounds. So I, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was hard to run away from, Mm -hmm. but you know, and I'm light on my feet. So it's, uh, I've done, I've having done all that, you know, there's a lot of, um, expectation on me coming back when everybody's just like depressed that nothing's working and they're not getting any help on their life because they're too busy working on staff or they're on staff doing, they're not going in session. They're not doing the courses they want to do. They're not succeeding in life, mostly because Scientology does not work. Um, but they don't know that they're, they're not conceptualizing this presently. So what I noticed was just the making the biggest deals of the short of the smallest wins and like cracking the whip on the smallest failures, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes the best weeks we had were when we got to, uh, when we met a, a fundraising target for the IAS and uh, a percentage of that target went directly into staff pay and was diversified beyond, uh, between all the, um, uh, staff members. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about how much were you making a week? Because you get paid weekly as a staff member, right? Yeah. So um, when I was training, oh, I we we diverted a little bit, but I'll mm-hmm. I'll come back. When I was training, I was making about a hundred dollars a week, okay. and I'll explain. And that gets into that's actually that wasn't supposed to happen, but um, when I actually got back to the org, and I found out about this mission. Basically, what they had been doing is they had been um, creating bank accounts, opening lines of credit for people, taking out second mortgages on people's homes and maxing out other people's credit cards, taking hours paid in one folder and putting them into another folder mm-hmm. with different names. Mm-hmm. So you're basically stealing hours from people who you just assume aren't coming back. It's basically, it was a huge form of theft, essentially, right. and uh, uh, credit card fraud and um and what year so was this? Explained. This was 20, uh, 2016, uh, 2017 through 2019, I think. Yeah, so we're talking right, so right in the middle of the whole chase wave time yeah. period where they were just charging credit cards, doing all kinds of yep. stuff, as we've described then, in earlier podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, so you know, those... Um, financial targets were, were were just most important. So I was, uh, when I got back, I was, I think the most I made was like, uh, like $80 total, uh, for one week. I mean, before that it was like, maybe like $20 a week, $35 a week, um, $16 a week, $14 a week, $8 a week. One, one week I got, um, like six dollars and thirty cents or something. Wow! And, uh, but you're but you don't do it for the. You're, it's not about the money. Yeah, you're it's not it about the, the money. Yeah, you're, it's not doing it for the money. So you're like you're so you're you're so you're fine. So you take that stupid envelope, and you sign your stupid little name, and you rip that you rip the the thing in half so that the the treasury secretary can t- put it in her little basket and go on her little DOS computer where she can put in the finance system, like ancient. Yeah. code that i don't understand you know no it's um 
it was uh, quite bizarre. Um, but anyway, so so much I, for three thousand dollars a month, though. No, no, never yeah. anywhere remotely near. I mean, the executives made a lot more. The people in the executive mm. divisions did in in they did make more. Uh, they got what are units. So you're paid in like a certain amount of units that are divided. And uh, the more training you do, you actually can get units added on. And it's like this very overly complex system that doesn't need to exist. But the more you have to think and the more confused you are, the less you ask questions. Bingo. Uh, in Scientology. That's, That's used all over the place. Yeah. But there was this, uh, I found out that the, this mission with Chris Burpee and uh, also helped by the FR, Sarah Teresi, they had done all these things and they had created such a massive problem that the field was actually complaining. The field being the people in the Atlanta area who were active in with the, with the org with Atlanta. Mm -hmm. um, basically the, basically the local the Scientologists. Yeah, exactly. So they were starting to complain because one of the, uh, I mean, for many reasons, there were a lot of problems. And so what happened, it's actually pretty crazy. There was a, um, yeah. like int, int management essentially, okay. um, uh, sent these people, these, uh, different kind of auditors, financial auditors to look through, they sent a whole mission to look through every single folder and, uh, in the entire folder tank and every financial transaction over the past, since, since it opened, um, finding all of these dollar amounts and trying to cover it up by trying to reach out and paying these people back what they were estimated. Okay, got it. So this was the same respect. thing that happened in Cincinnati and some other places that we heard about where once the word got out, that this chase wave was being busted and that the financial institutions involved were catching on to the fraud, the church sent its own internal finance people around to clean up the books and clear everything out and pay people back and, and clean things up so that the Church of Scientology would not be financially liable for gross and blatant fraud. And, uh, and that's what it sounds like you're describing, because that's a similar thing that happened, I've been told, in other Scientology orgs around 2019. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of that happened. And also we got afterwards, we got uh, new training manuals that talked about uh, all the things you aren't allowed to accept now. You're not allowed to talk to any banking person. You are absolutely not allowed to use anyone's credit card information without previously like there's it's like it, like so that like a like a, a hamster in a cage would understand you're not allowed to like that's how simple like they really drill it in you do absolutely nothing with their credit card how that person interesting they, they actually put that like, in writing yeah. in a manual oh yeah you have to you have to uh get a method nine i would love to get a copy of that thing because because this is the first i'm hearing that this was actually put down in written form like this is i knew that we knew that a, a bunch of word. people got fired we knew that a bunch of people got transferred off their jobs and that there was a and that there was a really big deal with the consequences of this with the personnel of scientology but i did not right. know this is the first time hearing that they actually put this thing down in writing of thou shalt yeah. not a b c d again so that we don't run into this problem yeah, it was a, it was a blue flag order. So okay. it had, um, and then it had, I think a little pack attached to the back and, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I remember, and it was bizarre cause I remember explaining it being like explaining it, uh, to my, um, 
the in my ex in laws. I'm divorced now. I actually recently was finally able to get divorced, which is pretty cool. Uh, so that's all over and done with. Good. But uh, the uh, at the time I was talking to um, my sister in law, and uh, I was I was explaining this, and I was like, "But it's okay because they got paid back, you know." So the people who were uh, at fault, you know, they they went and got handled, and 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 the church came and paid them back, and even then. My sister-in-law, ex-sister-in-law, who was the HES of her org. So also, she told me, she stopped me right in my track. She cut me off and told me to stop talking. And I was like, what's the problem? She's like, oh, it's in beta. There it is. Why would you, why would you, why would you spread that information? Why would you talk about bad things that happen anywhere? Right. Period. And I'm like, you are the most negative person I've ever met. And you're telling me to like, she's a very hostile and aggressive attitude, but somehow me just describing a negative circumstance that put, could have been caused by the church was suddenly this nightmare to talk about. And, and, and that was, you know, one of the few things that really, uh, you know, had me lose interest in following all these nitpicky rules. Cause nobody really followed anything. Nobody really followed, you know, the structure that I had been presented with. I, I, my memory is such that I just happen to hold on to a lot. Uh, and I sort of see it all at the same time. So when I'm looking at Scientology, I'm looking all at, at all of these, uh, you know, references that I've read, or if I'm looking at all the, um, the ways I've, I trained my, I, I trained myself to be as a Scientologist or my auditor training, you know, it's all just kind of floating around and, um, and I can see it all for what it is, and I can see the good, and I see a lot of the bad. But like being on staff was unexpectedly one of the most demoralizing experiences of my entire life. Like even yeah. even at Flag, I had agency to run around this big building, and 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 I had energy to to fight back and do and do what I think I thought was right. You know, things moved a little faster, but when you you know when you're on staff at an org, you kind of lose this ability to live your own life. And right. I couldn't afford to rent a place. So I was, um, again, supported by my mom who helped, who just paid for, we were in this house, this, uh, this staff birthing, and there were two little apartments close by the Atlanta org that were, um, like licensed under the church of Scientology, but they didn't pay any attention to it. They just let them they just let the staff members figure it out, like pay the rent and the electricity. The guy, the guy I was staying there with, the guy who was like in charge of the bills, he, <laughs> one time he didn't, he said, one time the power went out and I was like, why'd the power go out? And he said, well, I guess we didn't pay the electric bill. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, I never got one. So I didn't know we had to pay it. And I was like, well, what money have I been giving you? And it's just like, oh, all the money. But I just didn't know how much to ask you for the electric bill. So I just didn't. So I was paying rent minus electric and the power went out for a week. And oh my God, I was like, for a week and a, a week. And then when the power, so we stayed in the opposite. So I was like, um, I was like staying in the opposite one, like on the floor um, uh, during the day. And at night I would go back cause it was cold. Um, so I would, I, I was fine with the cold. I could sleep in the cold, but then, uh, the power came back on uh, eventually. I think, um, um, somebody figured it out. I wasn't sure. Um, I remember they asked me 
to call my mom and I talked, I had to call my mom and ask her to, uh, um, bail out this apartment of adults. One of, one of whom was, a a woman with her, uh, like child age son who she couldn't take care of during the day because she had to work at the org. Um, a lot of, a lot of stuff to unpack and a lot of craziness, but yeah. Um, wow. We, wow. Yeah. We talked, uh, we talked last about that guy, Kesavon, uh, that my, my, my roommate who, uh, got scabies from that woman he invited from out of town to the, anyway, there was, there was this, uh, this guy, one of my roommates, the power goes out for a week. When the power turns back on, I say, Hey, um, Kesavon, you have a log of beef in the fridge that I see you've segmented into burgers for the, for the week. And it's in the freezer. Uh, since the power went out, it's gone bad. How do you, exp- uh, when are you going to take it out? There's an inch of like frozen blood on the bottom of the freezer. How do you, ex- how do you plan to take it out? And he said, Oh, it looks pretty good. I mean, it looks like it's still good. So, uh, I'll, I'll probably eat, keep it. I've already eaten some of it. And. Oh God. That was the day that I left to find another place to live. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I told my uh, mother that, I mean, I think that fact alone sickened her enough that she was like, okay, that is, that is pretty, that is pretty gross. Um, Because that guy was constantly sick and it seemed to just be that he doesn't understand how the body, how medicine works. Microbe. I, I don't know what hey, he's just was, making it go right, man. What do you, what do you give you know, time for? He's just making it go right. One disease at a time. That's right. That's yeah. right. Hey, I, I got to comment on but, something we talked about a minute ago on this N theta yeah. thing. Cause this is really important too. Um, right. and you gave a perfect example. I mean, picture perfect example of how it's used and what I'm going to highlight here. I don't know of a better thought stopping cliche or terminate you know thought terminating concept that'll just shut down thinking faster yeah than the word n theta in scientology absolutely it is universal yeah. it is universally applicable you can use it in any circumstance or situation to shut down an entire train of thought uh, whatever the person's saying, they're stopped in their tracks, and they and it and it and it's such a slam dunk barrier that once it's put there in the conversation, nothing else can happen. You just wow. have to move on. If something because- is labeled n theta, whether it's Leah's documentary, whether it's you talking about financial irregularities in the organization whether it's complaining about not getting paid, whether it's anything, anything, anything at all. If science, if a Scientologist tells another Scientologist that's N theta, that's it. It's a conversation stopper. And and there are very few things. I just wanted to comment on the fact that there are very few things that are, as powerful as that, even outside in the real world, I don't see, you know, you, it, it's, it's, it, it's almost like, um, the, the, it has the same kind of power that, that, that Nazi used to have or something before yeah. it got watered down. You know I mean? It's just, it's this incredibly powerful concept that whatever it is you're talking about, whatever it's bad, it's wrong. You shouldn't even be right. thinking about it, much less yeah. talking about it. 
and this is this is a this is just pure brilliance when it comes to the concept of of mind control or thought reform right. because this is this is how it is done and this is also anything on the internet having to do with scientology oh it's anything. and not, not even not even negative stuff sometimes sometimes That's googling right. scientology is itself the overt act having had to extract many overts from individuals myself, many of which far, far too uh, explicit to uh, say on on sure. on YouTube or on a podcast. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing, the things I have heard uh, would you know yeah. shock a lot of people. I think, but anyway, the uh, um, you know, you learn this technique where essentially uh, L. Ron Hubbard describes overts a lot and he essentially equates overt acts to every source of evil, right? They're sort mm -hmm. of the seconds, the manifestation of um, the wrong act or the confusion that preceded it. And this confusion will create disorder and chaos. And in order, in order for there to be the concept of order, there must have been the concept of chaos. All this stuff that like he took from somewhere else mm -hmm. um, because it's not in context. Like you don't use any of this information. All, all of the, a lot of the, of the information he uses to describe something is mostly filler. Like not like you don't deviate to like, Hmm, I remember that one thing I read in this book. Let me try that. You, you don't do that mm -hmm. in auditing as an auditor. You do a set number of actions on a set number of prepared lists. Uh, these prepared lists can sometimes be just prepared before session, like uh, questions. But like one thing you learn is that if somebody has, in Scientology, is if somebody has negative thoughts or a desire or a criticism or a, an internal negative um, outlook about a certain specific thing, your job as the auditor is to find, when was there, an, uh, tell me about that thought. Okay, thank you. When, was there an earlier similar time that you had uh, a thought, a critical thought like that? All right, thank you. Tell me about that. After that, you say, um, could you tell me the first time you had an, an, uh, a similar critical thought to that? And just before, and then you get them to tell and you say, okay, well, thank you. Just before that, what was the overt that you committed? That's right. And so you get this idea that all and theta if it's if you're hearing it, it's coming from a distrustful source. You're already sort of getting that SP sort of wall up, and you're like, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Like I, 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 I thought that uh, um, integrity was enough. You'd think that uh, you know someone's own belief in a system would be strong enough if it in fact worked for them, that they would be able to hold it. That's sort of how religion works. Period you know, your belief in something and your belief in it manifests your behavior towards it because of right. what it does for you. That's right. You know, you, you don't need this, uh, reciprocation, but in Scientology, it's all about like results and what L Ron Hubbard said, you're going to get at the end and what he's promised you. And there are promises and there are financial exchanges for promised gains constantly constantly behind the scenes they would never say in public oh dianetics can cure cancer because obviously that's illegal that would be dumb to say in public just from a from a self-serving religion point of view you know mm -hmm. 
someone who wants to keep control, all they have to do is lie and wait Mm. and not respond. And then you create this like, well, what is the truth? We just won't know. But like, you know, you or I know. We saw it. Mike Rinder knows. Larry Mini knows. Oh, sure, of course. You know, it's yeah. uh, you know every every person out there is watching this who doesn't have the courage to speak out, or who perhaps wishes they could speak out or could do more knows this. And I know that I've what I've noticed is that no matter how no matter how many times I remark on how naive I was as a Scientologist, um. The amount of joy I feel from actually being like intellectually free to be my own person and to learn things like unbiasedly. And you realize there is such a thing as being unbiased or there is such a thing as being biased and bias is important. Sometimes, you know, it's very, it takes the context. There is no truth. Like if you're a Scientologist, there is no real truth there is no certainty on anything because it's all based on your like what happens to you when you apply the tech or whatever it's like if it's you know it's why that uh that uh, interview recently with the h the pr head of scientology she was on a podcast or something um i forget what her name is but she uh is the head of pr and uh she also recently read a, uh, an LRH quote in front of the Clearwater City Council. Randomly yeah, Pat Hardy you're prayer. talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she's in Clearwater. So, yeah. <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, she opened her mouth and she said, what is personal integrity? And I said, get the fuck <laughs> out of here. Are you a prayer? Go fuck yourself. That is, I, you know how many times I had to like spell that reference out to someone and be like, why don't you know Scientology? You know, like anyway, uh, she did this, uh, thing and, and, and she started her, her, um, her interview by saying, uh, you know, what's true for you, (laughs) what is true is what is true for you. And, uh, what she omitted to say was until you actually do any Scientology, because then there is a, Uh, a higher power than you Mm. like what is true for you is only subjective to get you into Scientology. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you're going to bite whatever you're going to bite. They're going to let you nibble whatever you need to nibble to get in. Because once you sign that contract, you're fucked. You've literally, I mean, you know, we're getting close to, to, to getting rid of these, um, uh, contracts, I think. And these contracts that you're made to sign in Scientology, all we need is like, delegitimization or some kind of you know prior amnesty or something could happen and that would just literally allow these people the legal freedom to say whatever they want and scientology can only harass so many people at one time right. and um you know i uh, i feel very strongly that uh people want to talk about their experience but they don't know how to describe the fear that they feel and I think describing that fear itself is the first step, mm. whether it's public or personal. You know, mm. I have come a very long way and I drug myself through the mud. I, uh, I have felt all the negative feelings that I need to feel. And I am now sort of 
I just, I just get it now. And I just kind of understand that, you know, sure. I had this very negative past, but it helps me solve a problem that is very active today. And, you know, I feel like all the people that I watched suffer in life on post while I was on staff, the people who couldn't feed their families or the people who had to, um, people who were above me who were ordering me around because their lives were miserable because of someone who was ordering them around. And I saw the direct line and you couldn't question it. It's impossible. You know, how dare you evaluate on somebody else's others, on somebody other, somebody else's situation, you know, on their own level of personality. You don't know them. Like you're not allowed to know people. You're not allowed to know what sim, who, who is like you and who is not. Everyone is their own. It's not like we're one species of organism, which would, you know, make more sense. We're all these celestial individuals coming from this place and that to be isolated from each other. And it's like a, it's a nonsense. It like you really, I mean, I've, I've, I've looked at this quite a bit to try to understand like, you know, how much of it is what I blamed myself for and how much of it was just abuse. Most of it was abuse. Yeah. About 98% of it was pure abuse. And many people think that it's them and that they did something wrong or they're going to be in trouble. I can tell you, you're going to be just fine. Exactly. If you, exactly. if you talk about Scientology and I know that because I'm here and I feel actually more than liberated from, um, those feelings. Although I, it'd be, it would be, uh, a light thing to say I have a chip on my shoulder, but at the same time, they have the literal biggest chip. They invented chips on shoulders. Right. They make enemies out of out of anyone they can. And uh, on staff, you know, um, it's no different. But you see these bad things happening. And if you can remember them, if you can, uh, you know, count how many times on a finger that you've seen somebody get corrected and then come back and do the exact same shit or the same time or you, you know, how workable is that? If you constantly have to correct yourself. It's like, that's, that's real life anyway, you know, yeah. being aware of not doing the wrong things and, and making moral choices, but you don't need like what inevitably becomes aliens and uh, prior civilizations and past life, uh, you know, recall to fix, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's just not that complicated. Well, no, no, it's not, but it's, but it's yeah. made complicated and it's made to right. appear complicated and, I think what you're describing is the difficulties of and the, the sort of the steps of recovery from this activity, from this group. I mean, it's, 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 yeah. there's a, there's so much, there's so, it's hard to appreciate, you know, if you didn't do yeah. it, that the, the, yeah. the, the levels and the strength, the power of, of the fear and the guilt and the responsibility that's laid on you constantly in Scientology and this framework that you describe, you know, it's like all these creatures from other galaxies. What are we and who are we and where have we been and what have we done? And you have this incredibly complicated framework that you're trying to get your wits around the entire time you're in Scientology. 
because Hubbard is only giving you bits and pieces here and there. It's no, there's nowhere that it's all just kind of laid out for you. Here's the picture. Here's endless how, contradictions. Oh, constant contradictions, Constantly, right? Because he's because yeah. you're listening to a lecture from 1952, and then the next lecture you're listening to is from 1988, and you know, yeah, and, and, like, and, and, and 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 things have changed, and 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 you're supposed to just kind of figure this out and roll with it, and and if you don't. You're the idiot, and you're the one with misunderstood exactly. words, and you're the one with false data, and you're the one who doesn't understand. Because Hubbard's perfectly clear when he's, yeah, clear as fog. I mean, it just doesn't, it's not clear at all. And like, and, and I think part of the struggle, uh, you know, that you're going through or been through, and I, you know, me and, and everybody else comes out of that, is is the struggle of trying to think with, well, there must be parts of this that were true, that made sense, that were right. real, that that meant something, and it's and it, and the recovery for me, and I think maybe for you, has been a, the a letting go of all those, you know, quote unquote important things that really right. never had any truth connected to them at all. Yeah, you know, and realizing and- that you were really living on a bed of lies that were never actually supposed to make sense. They were supposed to confuse you. you Yeah. The deconstruction is, was a lot of me realizing that like by, I was convinced a lot that Scientology was making life simpler or making concepts more digestible in some way. And then when I, you only have to be asked so many times to explain what Scientology is before you get annoyed. (laughs) Because the expectation of effort you're about to expend describing something, which is why you'll only hear celebrities say, oh, you got to read a book. Look into it. Oh, you got to just do your own research. Just read a book because they are so confused themselves. If they if they are one of the people that they like that they're aware of that just wildly has MUs and might just misinterpret the tech completely, that they'll set a bad or negative or non-optimum uh, expectation of Scientology. And also, and then be in trouble by management and then they'll get attacked. So they're not gonna say anything. They're just gonna say, you read a book. Oh, well, it's actually, you know, you have to find it for yourself. It's like, yeah, obviously if you were like, I want you to hold my answers. I want you to hold yourself accountable for, for what I say. And then, so you go pay. So then you hold yourself accountable for the money you just spent to do the course on the expectation that perhaps they'll be interested. But most people, most people are not interested in that kind of logic because it doesn't really work. But deconstructing for myself was a lot of opinions and thought processes that I used to evaluate decisions and how I viewed myself um, through the lens of a Scientologist's and mm-hmm. expecting those lenses to exist externally and outside of Scientology, which they can, but mostly it's, it's very, very not the same. Exactly. People are people are people. That has never changed. You know, people are not all out to get you. There are people, you know, anyway, yeah. it's like, uh, it's just realizing like your thought processes, like, Decide very early on that it's okay to be wrong and that it's okay to let go of these concepts because they are, I mean, I guess for me, I could say they were more than concepts. They were 
they had influenced other entire ways of thought for me, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sort of using my brain, hitching a high, uh, hitching a ride to make computations that were unnecessary or, you know, cause problems where they didn't need to be or have anxieties about galactic invaders, you know, like right. things that distract me from thinking about why am I on staff this often? And why am I, why am I staying late and working both orgs? Because we just only have 15 people on staff or 20 people on staff, or we have a complement of 27 staff members, but only 10 show up, you know, and nobody wants to be there because nobody's getting paid. So everybody's working other jobs. And then we get a, a dispatch from David Miscavige saying, we shouldn't be moonlighting. And if you are moonlighting, well, that means the org isn't making enough. That's a failure. So y'all are going to get uh, sec checked or, you know, an interrogatory or, uh, you know, investigations done, you know, it's, there is so much, there is uh, just factually so much raw information that describing it, um, I, I, I would forgive any ex-Scientologist from describe, from being too exhausted yeah. to describe it because you really shouldn't, and you really can't ask, well, what is it? Like, why is it bad? Like, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta give that some time, you know, you gotta be ready to sit down, grab some popcorn and then yourself, you know, look into what they've actually done because Scientologists paint like very specific, they're trained to, or they're, I I should say they're drilled on scripts on how to respond to people who ask them about Scientology. It's very, very rarely genuine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, look, we're going to start wrapping up because uh, we've been sure. at it for a while again, and we've been talking about lots and lots of things. But we did cover an awful lot of uh, what I wanted to in terms of your staff experience in Atlanta and your yeah. training at FLAG and what happened there and your thoughts and feelings about that. And, and of course, your thoughts and feelings about getting out of that and recovering from it and reorienting and readjusting, you know, thinking accordingly. It's hard. It's complicated. It's it's difficult, and um, yeah. and anybody who pretends that this is supposed to be easy uh, is either in denial or avoiding it. I think you know if I may be so yeah, bold. It's kind of hard to not be in denial, you know. Uh, and after, it is uh, hard, however long in Scientology. That's yeah. right. That's right. You know, because I and I, you know, Lord knows, I certainly went through uh, my phases of that. I mean, I thought when I first got out, oh, g- give me a year, I'll be all good, you know. And it was like, yeah, no, uh, no, no, dude, that's not how this works at all. So, you know, we all have our journeys and our roads that we're going down here and figuring this stuff out. So I hope that by, you know, through our our (laughs) ruminations and consent thoughts and ideas about all of this, that you guys get some deeper level look at what we're actually struggling with and what this is really all about when we talk about recovery from a destructive cult. There's the bad things that happened, and then there's the trauma that's left over that we got to deal with and sort out. You know, and that takes time and it takes work. And I know that's true for every single person who's come out of any kind of destructive cult or, you know, coercive kind of situation. So, um, so hope that this podcast helped, you know, understand Scientology a little bit more and all of its vagaries and nonsense and uh, helped understand uh, Ian's journey, you know, and, and what you've been through. So uh, thank yeah, you very my- much for taking the time to, to talk about this. 
absolutely. My, uh, uh, I, I'm, I enjoy these these talks. It's very uh, refreshing to talk to to people that I have uh, so much in common with. And I know I, uh, you know, I have my own um, process of, of of getting the information out. It's not always the most streamlined. It's not always the most uh, pedestrian, I guess. But sure, that's that's my brain work. That's that's how it works. It's how it's been working. It's always done that. I, uh, you know. I'll get there. You want a question or you want an answer to a question. You got to ask it a couple of times, but I'll give you the answer. Absolutely. And you've been doing great yeah. and you've been doing great. And, yeah. and, and so yeah. anytime, anytime Absolutely. I'd love to, we'd love to talk more. Definitely. Definitely. We will. Cause we've got more stuff to talk about. I, I do have more questions for you about your experiences and your, um, and your thoughts about all of this. And of course, Scientology now, as we're recording this right now, the Masterson trial is hot and heavy. It's just getting going, really. This is probably going to post in a couple weeks, so it's so you know the other things will have happened between now and then as far as the trial goes. So I don't want to comment too much on it, except to say that there has yeah. really not been as much attention on Scientology as there is right now because of that yeah. trial, and I'm very very happy about that because the more exposure we get to the actual nonsense of Scientology. And, um, and we touched on, by the way, in this talk today, some of what these women had to experience as well uh, in, yeah. you know, in being victimized by Danny Masterson and by Scientology. So I hope that this gives some, you know, again, sheds some more light on the topic. Uh, again, Ian, thank you very much for taking the time. And, thank you for uh, having me. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. And uh, and we'll do this again. Folks out there, I want to let you know, because um, I need to plug this uh, kind of as a thing, is um, not only can you support the channel or the show through Patreon, PayPal, Venmo, whatever, links are always in the description section of my videos. Um, but also, I am now doing consultation. I am available for, for that. And that is not the same thing as therapy or counseling. I am not a therapist or a counselor, but I do consultation. So if you need any assistance, uh, have questions, have concern, you know, uh, relationships or something in a tough coercive situation, don't know what to do, have questions, contact me and, uh, and we'll figure it out. All right. So I'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.